We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Today on The Timeline, we said goodbye to Jared Dudley. We say hello to Rashawn Holmes, and we talk bandana booker, Kawhi Leonard, and Kevin Love. for coming. I know you already know what the news is, but I, I want to just take a moment to, uh, first of all, thank um, Raja Bell and, and Boris Diaw and Sean Singletary, particularly Raja and, and Boris for their uh, service the last few years. They've been a huge part of this organization and our success, and uh, we wish all three of those guys well. Um, but uh, today is about introducing a couple of new players that we're very excited about, um, Jason Richardson and uh, and um, Mr. Dudley here, Jared Dudley, who have uh, been playing with Charlotte, as you know, and we're, we're thrilled to have each of them. Uh, uh, Jared, uh, we've liked since the draft a couple of years ago, so when this uh, opportunity uh, came about to, to make this acquisition, it was, a, it was an easy choice for us. We feel both guys are going to bring a lot of energy and enthusiasm to the equation here in Phoenix. Uh, we're fired to, fired up to have both of them here, and I think they're uh, they both are going to have a, a great future with us. So uh, I'm going to bring both of them up here. Very excited to be here, uh, winning organization. Uh, you know, when I was little, I used to dream about playing with players like Shaq and Amari uh, and Steve, and now for it to come true, I feel like I've been drafted all over again, and uh, just coming out here and give uh, energy and enthusiasm as much as I can. Thank you. Welcome to the Timeline of Phoenix Suns podcast. This week, Jared Dudley has been traded and a lot more news. Sam, how are you doing? I'm doing well as always, Mike. Uh, we are officially in that portion of the offseason where we're talking about some more minor stuff, admittedly, but all of this stuff still has the potential to make an impact um, and is also just pulling at the heartstrings, you know, sentimentally. 
Uh, I mean, getting rid of Jared Dudley really has some sentimental value. So we should we should sort of just appreciate him a little bit as we talk about this. Yeah, and you know what? What is your favorite Jared Dudley memory from his time with the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, for me, it's easily his uh, his career high thirty six points versus the Knicks. I remember watching that game um, back when it happened, and and I looked it up uh, to sort of contextualize what, <laughs> how different the Suns were, and and how sa- how similar the Suns were actually in some ways uh, when we were at that point five years ago. So Jared Dudley in that game, for those who don't remember, this was his career high. He played forty two minutes. Had 36 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists on 11 of 17 shooting. And we still lost this game to the New York Knicks by 2 points. This was the 2012-2013 season. So the Knicks uh, were 21-8 and at the time of this game. Like, how crazy is that? Thinking about how, you know, the Knicks <laughs> were actually sort of at that point where they were kind of good. Um, and the Suns were still at that point where we were not so good. We were 11 and 18 following that defeat. But yeah, I mean, that that was sort of just like a, a dark point, I think, in our <laughs> in my time being a Suns fan, because it really felt like the, the team wasn't going anywhere. Um, Steve Nash had just left. Um, but Jared Dudley, just always a guy who played the game the right way and, uh, really something to be appreciative of the, of there. Did Amari Stoudemire play that game? No, because this was 2012. So Amari was gone. Um, oh, you mean for the Knicks? Um, yes. No, he was injured. Okay, so yeah, you'll get a kick out of this too. The Knicks were 21-8. and eight. Here was their starting lineup. Uh, it was Jason Kidd, Ronnie Brewer, James mm. White, Kurt Thomas and Tyson Chandler, um, a few former sons there on that list, and Kurt Thomas, Jason Kidd, and then of course Tyson Chandler, currently uh, our either second or third string center, depending on our discussion later in this episode, <laughs> um, who played 37 minutes in that game. That team, uh, it, that sounds like a pretty bad starting five to me, but it still was enough to win that game. James White only played 18 minutes, Ronnie Brewer only played 13, and of course the Suns starting um, sort of the hopeless uh starting five that we remember from that season where it was just you know not bad players though that's the thing these weren't bad players it's just you looked at this and you didn't sort of see any hope for the future whatsoever um it was goran dragic shannon brown jared dudley Luis scola and marcin gortat so yeah um and if you look at the bench in that one too sebastian telfair got 30 minutes in this game Michael Beasley played 22 minutes. Jermaine O'Neal played 17 minutes. The youngest guy in this lineup was Markeith Morris, and he played seven minutes uh, in this wow. game uh, because it was it was his, I guess it was his sophomore season. He was still only playing that much. So just really, yeah, really, really weird point in our franchise history. But uh, nevertheless, Jared Dudley had some great moments for us too in our playoff run in 2010. Um, but that career high game just stands out to me. Always a consummate professional, even when we've been absolute garbage. And that game was in the 2011-2012 season, right? 12-13. Ah, 12-13. Okay. Interesting. So just to remember that season a little bit, uh, the Suns, do you remember the Suns' record from that season? Actually, I'll put you on the spot. 25-57. That's correct. So think about this. The youngest guy on the court in that game uh, was Markeith Morris. He played seven minutes, and the Suns still went 25-57. and 57. So we just had a long conversation about Ryan McDonough and his tenure 
And this is a good way to defend him here because in the previous regime, we won 25 games and played no young guys at all, really. Uh, and uh, as far as winning in the 20s, it's better to win in the 20s and play a bunch of teenagers and 20, 21-year-olds. At least you have some future if they actually grow. Um, that was a rough, rough, rough year. <laughs> and all it led to was Alex Lynn. Oh, no. No, I don't like that. Okay, we talked about that too, though. Yeah. When during the 2011-2012 season, I remember there was a Twitter contest to win uh, a jersey, and I tweeted into the Phoenix Suns, and I said, yeah, I want, I want a jersey. And the idea was that they would give you any jersey you wanted uh, with your name on it. So they, they give you whatever jersey you picked, you pick the number, and then they put your name on the jersey. And uh, I remember watching the pregame show with Tom Leander and Tom Chambers, and Tom Chambers read out my Twitter handle, my personal Twitter handle, and I was like, whoa, that's me. So I contacted the Suns later, and they said, okay, what's your name? What number do you want? We'll make you a jersey. We'll send it out to you. And I just told them, actually, you know what? Just send me a Jared Dudley jersey. <laughs> <laughs> And well, what, well, okay, I have to ask, what was your jersey inventory at the time? Like, why Dudley? Was it the secret wild card that you hadn't collected yet, or was he actually the jersey that you wanted above all else? Well, I have, I had at the time two Steve Nash jerseys, um, so I don't need another Steve Nash jersey, although I wouldn't have turned it down. But it kind of gives you a look into the state of the Phoenix Suns fans at the time because. That's the jersey I really wanted. He was one of my favorite players to watch on the team. And the thing is about uh, fans is at a certain point, you want the jersey of a player that's kind of not a star to prove how big of a fan you are. And I think that's the, the, the hipster in me was trying to get the Jared Dudley jersey to show off how big of a fan I was yeah. at the time. But he was pretty good that season. That was his highest scoring season, I believe. And uh, he played really well. That's when uh, he was on that Steve Nash diet. I don't know if you remember Steve Nash, all about no sugar. Uh, Jared Dudley used to pick up his menu when they went to team dinners and he would point at specific things in the menu and ask Steve Nash if he was allowed to eat it. <laughs> and Steve Nash, he would choose what he wanted to eat. So he would say, no, don't eat that too much sugar. Yes, you can eat that. That's fine. And Jared Dudley, you know, he's he's been up and down in weight over the years. So it made a lot of sense to listen to Steve Nash who played until he was in his 40s. How does the whole vitamin water uh, connection to Steve Nash play into his no sugar diet is what I've always wondered. I know exactly how. Uh, they pay him. <laughs> <laughs> they give him money to endorse him. Give him, him. Money. Give him um, money and I guess Let's nothing. go over how that trade, how that trade actually works. Yeah, before so, we get too off topic. <laughs> <laughs> Jared Dudley and a protected second round pick were traded for Darrell Arthur to the New Jersey, or I'm sorry, the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, this was first broken by Woj, of course. It was a Woj bomb. Uh, and the protected pick obviously doesn't seem to matter, but the what Woj also reported was that Darrell Arthur is likely going to be bought out by the Suns. He's probably not going to play on the team at all. So far, it has not happened. It's been a few days since the trade. We still have Darrell Arthur on the team. Uh, so we don't really know what's going to happen there, but we are carrying 16 players on our roster right now. So the assumption is one person's got to go. It's possible we're working up to another trade, uh, or it's possible we're just waiting to come to terms on a buyout for Darrell Arthur, and he could be a free agent to go to any other team. Uh, what do you think about this trade? Uh, yeah, well, it was just made to create a little bit of cap for us to acquire Rashawn Holmes. Um, not too much to say there. I, I mean, I guess I'm a little surprised that we actually did it 
right? That we actually committed to trading Jared mm-hmm. Dudley rather than maybe just if you had asked me a week ago, I, I wouldn't have seen this coming at all. Um, I would have thought if we were going to address third string center. Uh, and actually, I, I remember asking a question to Scott Bordeaux, the Suns beat reporter, and he sort of echoed the same sentiment on Twitter that he was thinking if we were going to address that third center spot, maybe just restructure a deal with Alan Williams, try to bring him back. Um, but uh, I think Holmes, if we're talking about that move too, is is a player who brings his own unique sort of set of strengths. Um, <laughs> well, we should we should talk about that one because that's it, they're they're connected. Yeah. They're very much connected. So Dudley was traded for Darrell Arthur. Darrell Arthur is going to be bought out to create a roster spot, sort of. And uh, the Suns also traded a million dollars in cash. So uh, as far as I'm concerned, nothing because that's just Robert Sarver's money uh, for Rashawn Holmes from the 76ers. The 76ers got nothing in return. Uh, from the Suns, and we took nothing else from them except for Rashawn Holmes. Rashawn Holmes, a backup backup center, the third-string center for uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, a rim-running, screen-setting center, doesn't do much else. Um, a pretty good overall prospect considering we didn't have to give anything up for it, you know, not like a home-run trade or anything. Uh, but essentially, this these two trades worked out to replace Jared Dudley with... Uh, Rashawn Holmes, we talked about on our previous podcasts, the Suns have a lot of wings now uh, on our roster currently. You know, you can start with TJ Warren, of course. We also have Mikhail Bridges. Um, Now Devon Reed, we can talk about that. Devon Reed is now guaranteed. They fully guaranteed his contract. Um, Lots of wings on the team. There probably wasn't going to be any minutes for Jared Dudley. So Alan Williams is now gone. Uh, he was a little more expensive, about $4 million more expensive than Rashawn Holmes will be next season. So Rashawn Holmes is taking his place. Uh, how do you feel about Rashawn Holmes taking Big Sauce's place? Uh, well, he at least has sort of produced on a playoff team in a way that Alan Williams hasn't. Uh, and I really like Alan Williams. Um, I don't know. I mean, they're kind of they're kind of similar players. So Rashawn Holmes last year played 15 and a half minutes per game, shot 56% from the field, six and a half points, four and a half rebounds. Um, half a block. He has basically, okay, basically the highlight here, the only distinction that I think you can draw between these two players is that Rashawn Holmes, as you said, is a rim running center with off the charts athleticism in a way that Alan Williams just, he doesn't have that. He doesn't have that same uh, foot speed. He doesn't have that same vertical. Um, but at the same time, I mean, it's not like Rashawn Holmes is going to come in and be a huge difference maker defensively. From what I've read from some Sixers fans, he has some defensive instinct issues that sort of prevent him from fully utilizing the potential that his athleticism gives him um and at the same time like he's he's also not really going to space the floor in any sort of way he's like he's a 26 percent three-point shooter for his career and has actually like taken a sort of surprising number of three-point attempts um in in his really limited playing time throughout his career so who knows maybe there's some potential for him to extend his range a little bit but for the most part as you said i mean he's just there to fill minutes, right? I mean, Tyson Chandler has played no more than 50 games in either of the Suns' past two seasons. It was clear that the Suns needed someone to go in there and be a stopgap option in case DeAndre Ayton can't play all 82 games and under the assumption that Tyson Chandler wouldn't be able to play all 82 games. And I can tell you, Holmes, who is an actual natural-born center, is going to do a lot better at that position than either Dragon Bender or Marquise Chris would have. So... Just by virtue of that, evening out the depth chart, it's a win. Here's the thing that bothers me about this trade. I actually like Rashawn Holmes as a player. I think he has a lot of potential, and I like 
low usage centers. I just like centers who tend to know their role, and he doesn't seem like a guy that's going to eat up a lot of usage rate. But the two guys on the team that were out there carrying the torch for the city of Phoenix more than any two guys on the team were Alan Williams and Jared Dudley. Both of those guys are gone now. Now, I know they didn't really produce on the court that the to justify what they were making. So uh, that that's sort of not even a conversation. They just didn't. Alan Williams maybe a little more, but he's been injured, so can't really justify that either. But now we did lose two guys that were out there just kind of really – uh, promoting the city, making the get the young guys feel good about being here. So I'm going to miss both of them. I, I think Jared Dudley was very fun to watch. He was sort of that last piece on the team that was connected to when the team was good, and now he's gone. And, uh, you know, Alan Williams, I saw him tweet about uh, being off the team, and he said, first things first, I'm a, I'm a Suns fan. And that's kind of how he views himself. He's he's kind of like Kawhi Leonard with the Lakers. <laughs> he just wants to be in Phoenix. Uh, you know, Alan Williams is not on a team yet. Um, I don't know that he's going to be. It depends on how healthy he is after his injury. It'd be interesting to see where he goes, but uh, I wouldn't be surprised to see him back on the Suns if he gets up to full health at some point in his career because he just wants to be here. His family lives here. He's from here. He grew up here. It matters to him, so... Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Rashawn Holmes uh, on the team, though. It'll be nice to have uh, athleticism in that backup center role to see a guy who's willing to rim run. Those rim runners tend to space the floor as well. We talked about it uh, previously about DeAndre and It's not just about guys who shoot threes. You also need guys to suck the defense in in order to get open threes, and he could be one of those guys. We'll see how well he plays with uh, Devin Booker. It's going to be interesting to see that. But another thing that happened as a result of this is the great Scott Bordeaux uh, let us know that Reed and Harrison will now be fully guaranteed for the 18-19 season. So another thing that uh, moving these pieces around did was make more room at the wing uh, to allow Davon Reed to stay on the team. So now we get to see Reed and Harrison on the team for the 18-19 uh, season. No surprise from us, right? No, not at all. Um, yeah, and, and once Darrell Arthur is sort of officially bought out, assuming that that's going to be the case, we're going to be right back at that golden spot of 15 players, 16 if you include the two-way contract signee George King. Uh, remember, we have 15 roster spots and then two other two-way roster spots. Two-way contract players are allowed to spend, is it up to 30 or up to 45 days in the NBA? I would have to double-check that. Um, yeah, I don't remember exactly yeah, what I, it is. I want to say 45, but I'm not 100% sure. But for the most part, those are guys who are like, uh, you're intending on using them in the G League for most of the season, but can call them up in sort of emergencies. So we have George King in one of those spots. The other one is wide open, um, and we can use on someone else to this point. But the normal regular season roster is seems like it's mostly set. I mean, I don't know. Do you see any other big deals on the horizon? No, I don't. And for those who don't know exactly how it works, the Suns are allowed to carry 15 uh, active players on their roster. That's more than... It used to be 13. It was increased to 15 plus two two-way players. Two-way contracts are allowed to be on the team and also simultaneously play on the, the G League team. Uh, right now, the Suns have 16 players total, so that you, they have to get rid of one of them. That's why the assumption is it's going to be Darrell Arthur. Let's actually go over a little bit of what what it's looking like so far so um let's say our starting lineup is likely going to be well first of all devin booker brandon knight and trevor reza and uh you can guarantee deandre ayton to be there as well um and then another player maybe tj warren uh possibly 
Josh Jackson, we're not exactly sure. We also have Tyson Chandler, of course. Tyson Chandler may be the third string center like you were talking about now. It depends on how healthy he is, I imagine. He's getting older. Um, and then we also have Dragon Bender, Mikhail Bridges, Troy Daniels, Marquise Chris, Elliot Kobo, Shaquille Harrison, Davon Reed, and then uh, Rashawn Holmes is included in there. So that's the 16, and then we have George King on that two-way contract. So we're going to have to cut one of those players or trade, and then we have the ability of signing another two-way. We can take Alec Peters off of that because Alec Peters has signed a deal to play with uh, CSK Moscow, so Alec Peters is definitely not going to be one of our two-way players at this point. Congratulations to Alec Peters. Um, I'll never forget him torching the Mavericks. Just to sort of uh, talk about that really quickly, um, that is not necessarily the end of Alec Peters' NBA career. I mean, it didn't work out for him on the Suns. Uh, remember just a couple of years ago, we plucked Sonny Weems, who at the time was playing for Seska Moscow. Seska Moscow is one of the premier programs in the EuroLeague. You look at other examples of guys who went over, played overseas for years, like a P.J. Tucker, who was also a second-round pick once upon a time and sort of in the same position that Alec, uh, that Alec Peters was, only for him to come back to the NBA when uh, Phoenix signed him several years later. So uh, Peters probably has to go and work on some things in his game if he wants to re- reliably get NBA playing time in the future. But he's really young. He still has some potential. Uh, unfortunately, our depth chart just didn't really have room for him, but he could maybe be back one day. I could definitely see him playing in the NBA. He came off a pretty rough injury in college when he first was drafted by the Suns, it, the type of injury that takes maybe a year to fully come back from. He did okay in summer league, didn't really do anything super impressive. He can definitely shoot, and shooting is is very important in the modern NBA. So we'll see. Uh, he's going to go out there. He's going to... I'm sure he's going to play really well. I'm actually going to look forward to watching highlights of him playing in Moscow. You know, that it's interesting to see guys who sort of the thing is about Alec Peters is the Suns were tanking in the last few years and he could not get minutes. And if you can't get minutes on a tanking team, you probably don't belong in the NBA. So it's okay that he's going out to Moscow to play in Moscow, but I always wonder, these guys who are on the fringe of NBA rosters, how good are they going to be in that scenario in Moscow? Can he dominate? Probably not, but how effective will he be? So it'll be interesting to see him play there and then see if he ever makes his way back to the NBA. He has two. I think it's a two-year contract, and it's guaranteed for one year. So they do a lot of short contracts for guys that are on the fringe of the NBA in EuroLeague uh, teams because they always have the chance of going back into the NBA and they don't want to tie themselves down for long periods of time. Um, so back to but the Suns roster. I just roster want to say, if, if anything, the Mavs might just sign him so that they never have to play him again. Yeah, we know he plays well. <laughs> <laughs> we know he plays well I mean, Mark Cuban them. might be drawing up the contract <laughs> right now. That was a 36.9 rebound performance or something like that that Alec Peters had one of the last games of the season against the Mavs. Um, yeah, he could be a real building block for the Mavs along with Luka Doncic. Well, I can say this about Mark Cuban. The last time he saw a white guy with back problems who was good at shooting threes, he gave him a hundred and some million dollars. True, and it worked out for him. <laughs> Why not try it again? Yeah, let's try it again. Uh, Chandler Parsons, poor guy. I feel bad for him. But let's talk about the Suns roster. So they're carrying 16 players right now. Technically, you can keep up to 20 players during the offseason. You just have to cut it down to 15 by the time uh, the beginning of the season starts. Uh, the team tends to pick up players for preseason to try other players out just to see what they're like if they want to pick them up later in the in the uh, season, assuming someone gets injured. So 
it's possible they pick up a few more, but this is looking like the roster if you cut Darrell Arthur out. But the thing is, there's a couple ways they can do it. They can pay off Darrell Arthur and allow him to be a free agent, or they can make a move. I don't really see any trades out there right now. I'm not sure that the Suns are actually going to try to make a move, but that is a possibility. There definitely is a, a possible trade coming down here that, as we know with McDonough, you don't hear a lot about the moves before they happen. So something can happen at any moment. We don't really Here's know. the thing I want to address is right now we could stand pat with our current roster as is. We've got all the roster spots filled, and for the most part, I think we like the players that are on it. Remember when McDonough said that this team was sort of tired of uh, just throwing all these young players out there and really needed some veterans, um, that he really wanted to focus this offseason on adding veterans to a young team in order to help us take the next step? Yeah, I remember. (laughs) Well, if you look at this roster, I mean, we added Trevor Reza, but it's sort of negated by the fact, just in terms of not basketball skill right now, I'm talking about pure veteran leadership, which is an overrated concept. But if we're going to talk about it, we need to talk about it as it is. We added Trevor Reza. That's sort of negated by the fact that we just got rid of Jared Dudley. We're just as young of a team as we were. Rashawn Holmes is 24. He's about to uh, turn 25, and that's our biggest addition um, that's not a rookie outside of Trevor Reza. So, I mean, those veterans haven't actually really come that McDonough was talking about. In fact, you know, when you think about the fact that we added Ariza, got rid of Dudley, we're exactly the same age, which leads me to believe one of two things, either that McDonough lied to us and and I'm not trying to, you know, be overly harsh on him here that it's such a big deal in the first place that we don't have an abundance of veterans on a team that's not going to make the playoffs. But either he was lying about that or there are more moves to come. And if there are more moves to come, then I think definitely point guard is still the place to be looking at because between Knight, Shaq Harrison, and Elliot Kobo, I mean, that's clearly the biggest uh, position of weakness for the Suns at this point. So who knows, maybe a, a Pat Beverly... Milos Teodosic uh, trade with the Clippers is still on the horizon. Maybe there are other options we could explore. But I just thought that was interesting. Two things on that. Not only did we not get any uh, older, we didn't add any more veterans, really. We are also carrying three rookies into the season. Don't forget about that. We're also adding three young guys that need minutes into the mix here. And uh, that's rookies don't tend to make winning moves on the court. They could be good and they likely will be good, but you don't win a lot of games with those rookies. And if they're trying to win games this year, veterans can help that a lot. Um, But the other thing is maybe McDonough wasn't lying. Maybe there's not something on the horizon, but maybe there are other moves that just he expected to work out that did not work out. I'm not sure who those people could be, who, what players he was targeting. Uh, we really, after the Trevor Reza signing, we didn't really have any cap space. So the only other option is trades and uh, trades are always a crapshoot. You never know what's going to happen. You're just rolling the dice and throwing them and seeing who's going to be available. Um, but uh, it's possible more moves are coming. You have any other thoughts on our roster? No, I mean, we're, we're sad right now. We'll continue to monitor the situation. I I I really I wish there were some you know big trades looming that I could talk about, but I, I just don't see it. Let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's talk about all the moves that have gone down in the rest of the NBA recently. Hey everyone, thank you for listening to this podcast. We just wanted to plug a couple things we made in the last week on our Twitter account at the Timeline Pod. We posted a few different breakdowns of Igor Kokoshkov's summer league offense, 
We have a thread that breaks down a staggered high pick and roll play that has a couple of really great options from the three and at the basket. And we have a compilation of the best passing and cutting from Summer League. The off-ball movement in this video is amazing. It's the best we've seen in a Suns uniform in a long time. We also have a tweet thread of 10 great Jared Dudley memories, starting with his hilarious jump ball play against the Lakers. Uh, this thread has clips from him from eight years ago and includes his amazing tribute to Phoenix in the Players' Tribune. Definitely check those out. We're all going to miss Jared Dudley. Uh, there's also a compilation of insane Devin Booker shots set to this song that you're listening to right now. If you haven't seen any of these videos or posts, check them out on our Twitter account or find them on the Phoenix Sun subreddit. If you can't find them, tweet at us or send us a comment or message on Reddit and we'll get the links your way. Uh, definitely check us out on Twitter at the Timeline Pod. Thank you everyone for listening. All right, Sam, the Spurs finally made a move. Kawhi and Danny Green were traded to the Toronto Raptors for DeMar DeRozan and Jakob Pertl. Uh, a big thing about this, is Kawhi Leonard the best player traded in our lifetime, maybe? <laughs> uh, you know, that's actually something interesting that I never thought about. Is he the best player? Yeah. Uh, well, are we talking about the best player at the time of the trade or develops into the best yes. player because I mean James Harden wasn't much when he was traded but now he's definitely right. a more valuable player than Kawhi yeah and Shaq's been traded a few times as well and Shaq is probably one of the best players traded uh, Kawhi though you could say Kawhi of course he didn't play much last season but Kawhi is likely a top five player top 10 definitely you could argue if he's in the top five when he's healthy and to see a player like that move teams it's unheard of it just doesn't happen and to see them leave the Spurs, that definitely doesn't happen. And the fact that Toronto, a couple great things have happened for Toronto. One, LeBron left to the East, so you don't have to worry about that juggernaut shooting fadeaways on you in front of the entire country. But they also added Kawhi and Danny Green to a team that's already a pretty good defensive team. This could be the best defense in the East, and they have a chance, of, a legitimate chance of making the finals if Danny Green and Kawhi Leonard are fully healthy and play. Uh, I saw Danny Green maybe has a groin injury now that the Spurs maybe didn't catch, but uh, what do you think about Toronto with Kawhi and Danny Green? Potentially good, a little overblown, though. I mean, Danny Green is not the same Danny Green he was in the 2014 finals um, and, and the 2013 finals as well. And on top of that, um, I don't know. I mean, it's all about Kawhi's mindset. That's really what this all comes down to. It all comes down to how badly does this guy actually want to play uh, in Toronto in the first place. And, and this is a huge gamble on the part of the Raptors. I actually really like this trade for San Antonio in terms of, uh, you know that this was a team that wasn't going to go into full-out tank mode. So I think it's really interesting for them to acquire a legitimate star like DeRozan and attempt to stay competitive, which I think they will, under the guidance of Popovich. Um, frankly, I'm more frightened by the fact that now we have another all-star who's going to be competing with Booker for all-star spots in the West in DeRozan. And I think there's a very good chance that Kawhi migrates back out West and joins the Lakers next year, in which case, you know, we just made the West even stronger once again for the billionth time in the past 20 years. And the East will continue to toil in mediocrity. So I don't know. I mean, Toronto for this one season is going all out. And they have a great opportunity to make the finals and then get thrashed once they get there. Um, but is it the best long-term move for their future? I really couldn't say. 
Yeah, it's a really interesting trade, and I think the more interesting part... Well, here's the thing. Kawhi Leonard, has anyone done any more damage to their legacy in a single year than Kawhi Leonard? I mean, this was the guy that supposedly was the quiet guy that just showed up with his lunch pail and got to work every single day. And in the past few months, we learned that his uncle is very involved. He's obsessed with the money he's getting from his shoe deal. He wants to play in Los Angeles, and he refuses to even entertain the notion of playing anywhere else. Uh, and, And now... He hates the cold. That's another thing that I thought was interesting. Maybe he should play here in Phoenix. Um, But he's going into Toronto, and the Toronto fans aren't even sure how they feel about it. There should be a huge celebration when a player as good as Kawhi Leonard joins your team. Instead, there's this fear that they're getting a player that will leave immediately. It's obviously the parallels to Paul George moving to OKC. Or, or it's, it's there. It's an obvious comparison because that could definitely happen. It's possible he'll stay there. I don't know. It doesn't seem like Kawhi is like that. He's more stubborn than we even imagined. And then Danny Green, you're right. Danny Green is not the same Danny Green, but he's still a good defender, and adding another good defender to that team is good for them, although they don't have to guard LeBron anymore, uh, at least not as often. The other interesting part, though, and the part that is more relevant to a Suns fan is uh, the Spurs got another star player. And DeMar DeRozan is not... Here's the interesting thing about the Spurs. The 2013 and 2014 Spurs that everyone talked about, which is this beautiful game where they love to move the ball and there's these corner threes and they're passing it around. Well, that was already gone the last two seasons. In the last two seasons, there was a lot of Kawhi Leonard post-ups. There was a lot of Kawhi Leonard isolations. And when Kawhi got hurt because LaMarcus Aldridge... Uh, barely even wanted to play on the Spurs anymore, Pop had to relent and give him the ball in the post. And now it's LaMarcus Aldridge post-ups, LaMarcus Aldridge face-ups from 18 feet away, jab, step, jab, step, uh, fade away. And that type of thing does not exist anymore. And the idea of adding DeMar DeRozan to that is hilarious to me because DeMar DeRozan is the exact opposite. It's the antithesis of the beautiful game. He wants to isolate. He wants to post up. Of course, Toronto got him to do a little bit more playmaking, a little bit more three-point shooting. The hilarious thing about the story about uh, the Toronto Raptors changing their whole game and revamping their whole offense is DeMar didn't change as much as people are pretending he did. He still liked to isolate. He shot more threes, but he didn't shoot better from three. Uh, and maybe he did play make, but not much more than he did in the past. This is still the same DeMar DeRozan that we're used to. Maybe he'll be more motivated by the fact that he was traded and he's mad at Toronto for moving him because he maybe is the best player they ever had. Uh, but the idea that they have another guy that wants to post up and shoot fadeaways on their team is hilarious to me. But knowing the Spurs, it's not even DeMar DeRozan. Jakob Pertl might be an all-NBA player in a few years. <laughs> Absolutely. And the Spurs still won 47 games last year where Kawhi only played nine games. So... You know, it's the type of thing where if the Suns were implementing this system based on DeRozan and Aldridge, we'd be laughed out of the building and we'd probably win 30 games. But the Spurs did it and and can do it. And I think they're going to find a way to win 50 to 55 on the backs of these two guys. Not good enough to really be taken seriously as a contender anymore. That portion of Spurs dominance might be over and they might need to really get lucky in the playoffs, have those guys heat up for a few games if they actually want any sort of chance at getting past the Warriors or the Rockets, but they'll still be in the conversation. Um, they'll, they'll find a way like they always do. The funny thing about this is people are sort of speculating that 
pop is in his last few years at the most. They're saying maybe two more seasons, three more seasons. He's old. He's in his late or mid sixties, I believe, sixty three, sixty four years old, I think. And just why would he not want to retire now? Why would you want your last few years to be watching Demar Derozan and Lamarcus Aldridge shoot post up fadeaways? over and over and over again that sounds insanely frustrating uh, i just think it's hilarious this the way that spurs fans are so obsessed with this beautiful game and now they get to watch these guys shoot posts i'm questioning if i should even say this but to approach it from a bit of a morbid note greg popovich is loves the game of basketball he's one of the the biggest coaching legends ever is sort of universally respected except for maybe by us and uh he just lost his wife last year um, of like 40 years. So, you know, I, I think for him, uh, and of course this is all speculation. We can't really say the reason why pop is, is choosing to continue after Tony Parker and Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan are gone. And that Spurs, um, that era of Spurs basketball is over, but could just be a thing where, you know, he, he wants to prolong the career. doesn't want to focus on anything else. It helps him keep his mind off things. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see. And I wonder if Kawhi Leonard is going to actually play on team USA. Now I know he says he will. And of course, pop says nothing bad about Kawhi because pop is a pro and you're not going to trash a player after he leaves your team. But I do wonder that's going to, ha- if that's going to happen, but there was another Woj bomb. Kevin Love signed a four-year, $120 million extension in the past. Sam and I talked about potential free agent targets for the Suns now that they preserved the 2019 cap space. Kevin Love was one of the ones we talked about. He's a guy who would have been a great fit, a power forward, spreads the floor, uh, saves some room down low for DeAndre Ayton to move around. Uh, He's a great rebounder, a good leader. He was one championship. So Kevin Love is off the table. What do you think of that? Well, I don't think he is off the table. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, my sort of opinion here is that the Cavs wouldn't have gotten any trade value out of Love um, if they tried to trade him in this season, and there would have been a very good chance for him to dart in free agency after they win, who knows, 35, 40 games, maybe even less. But by extending him, you have a, what's sort of a tradable contract on your hands. And I really do think, I think some people are probably laughing at the proposition, four years, $120 million is a, a tradable contract. But I really do think it is. Um, the, the honest truth here is that Love is the type of player where his game does not rely on athleticism heavily. I think if there's any sort of player who can continue to excel in their early 30s and continue to produce at that all-star type level, uh, Love, who who's never been an amazing defensive player in the first place could potentially do that. Um, he could have made as much as $130 million um, over four years on a max contract. He only got $120 million. So I guess technically you could say he's leaving a little bit off the table. And although $30 million a year really seems like a lot, we have to take um, the, the inflation into account here because people always forget that the NBA salary cap is inflating very quickly. Um, the current, I just pulled it up, the current cap projections for where the cap is going to be by 2021-2022, that season when Love is going to be 33 years old and making $30 million, the projected cap is going to be at $120 million for every team. Currently, it is at only $100 million. Um, so we'll be at a point where Love, his contract alone will be taking up about a quarter 
of the Cavs cap space uh, if he's still on the Cavs. When you're talking about these situations, I really think you need to sort of frame it in that perspective. You need to talk about what percent of the cap space is this guy taking up, not the raw amount of money. So if Love is taking up uh, towards the end of his deal, 25% of the cap, that's equivalent to guys right now in a $100 million cap making $25 million. If you look at the list of guys who are making that much money right now, you'll actually see a surprising number of non-contributors sort of or or guys who are obviously contributors but not necessarily the first names that you would think of when you think of that near max or max contract money i'm talking about guys like drew holiday otto porter al horford um even complete busts like hassan whiteside and chandler parsons are now making 25 million dollars a year so if love is sort of still in that same conversation a couple years from now two or three years when he's in his early 30s I don't know. I think that's potentially a tradable contract for the Cavs, and they would get even more value just by extending him um, if they decide to to give up on him a year down the road. It's absolutely a tradable contract, and it's not an overpay. I think a lot of people initial their initial reaction was, "Wow, that's an overpay, thirty million dollars a year." But he's good. First of all, Kevin Love's good. He left money on the table, as you're talking about. And here's the problem, though. If the Suns were able to sign him outright in free agency, it would have cost us nothing. So in a sense, Kevin Love now got more expensive to us because if we did want Kevin Love, we would have to give up real assets because Kevin Love has now got four extra years on his contract. And if you want to move for him, that means that goes up in price. And the Cavs were the, were the right kind of team for them to talk about wanting to move because if they end up moving... Kevin Love, it's because they want to go back to maybe tanking and getting three uh, first-round picks in a row at really <laughs> at really high rates like they did in the past. Um, I don't know that that's something that the Suns would be interested in doing. I think the price tag might be a little too high for him now with that four years uh, on his contract. I, I, don't, I don't really well, see Well, if you're going to do it, it needs to wait. Love can't be traded for the next six months anyway. Mm-hmm. For the Suns, if they were thinking about doing that, that's a good thing um, because – we would need to set it up in a way where we orchestrate having all of this cap space for next summer. Um, so that involves getting rid of all these veterans or whatever. Don't bring back Trevor Reza, a whole list of other players. Find a way to get rid of Brandon Knight, yada, yada. You sign whatever max contract free agent you want in 2019 um, or near max free agent. I mean, I don't know if that's uh, Kemba Walker, Goran Dragic, Ricky Rubio are all sort of point guard options that we talked about in the past. You get whoever you want there, use up all your cap space then, and only then do you orchestrate the trade with the Cavs to actually get Kevin Love. You can't do it the other way around. If we traded for Love right now, we're, I mean, you're locked into a Devin Booker, Kevin Love, DeAndre Ayton mm-hmm. trio for better or worse for the next four years. Yeah, that's a very good point. It, it wouldn't be anytime soon, and it, and it shouldn't be. And I don't think that, well, we'll see how the Cavs season goes. I was going to say, I don't think that the Cavs are willing to do that anytime soon either. But who knows? They still have a lot of interesting pieces. They still have Tristan Thompson, J.R. Smith. Um, Colin Sexton was insanely entertaining to watch in Summer League with his bully defense uh who knows what they're gonna look like obviously losing lebron is huge but the east as a whole lost lebron as well so maybe they can still make the playoffs with that team uh we don't really know george hill's still on that team as well george hill who knows what he's gonna look like without lebron that whole team's gonna be really weird to watch because they were all built around lebron's skill sets and now it's gonna take a real coach not that tyron lue had nothing to do previously but he's got a lot more work ahead of him now because coaching lebron is kind of easy he's a coach on the floor uh with this team and the way it's built now uh he's gonna have to try and figure things out in a little more interesting way 
Now, another thing happened since the last time we recorded that we have to talk about. Uh, TMZ released footage of a elevator fight that included Tyler Ulis and Devin Booker. But I don't know if you can really say it included Devin Booker because all I saw Devin Booker do was put a bandana around his face to hide his identity. Too bad he's 6'6 and... Uh, I don't know. It's uh, pretty obvious it's Devin Booker if you know what he looks like. And then Devin Booker sort of walked out of the elevator as everyone charged the people who attacked Tyler Ulis. Devin Booker, the good boy that he is, was approaching the security guard and probably giving them a reason that this fight started in the first place. But let's put a little more context. From the beginning, the video starts. Tyler Ulis standing in the elevator holding the elevator, not allowing other people to get in because he's waiting for his boys. First of all, dick move, man. You got to let people in the elevator. Wait for the next elevator. Let them go down. If you have to wait, (laughs) wait a little longer, Tyler. I don't know what you're doing. Um, But because Tyler Ulyss doesn't look like an NBA athlete, these guys immediately jumped him and started fighting with him in the elevator, which kind of spilled out into the lobby and then poured out into the street. And that's when Devin Booker came down and, and avoided that. What did you think of that video? Uh, it was funny. It's interesting <laughs> yeah. how they, this happened in 2017. Um, it it's did. important to that's add. This wasn't like, part. this wasn't like any time recently. So, um, they avoided this being leaked for a really long time, and I, and I don't think it's going to have any consequences in the future. Um, it's just one of those one of those funny things we'll look back on. Did okay, the person that had the video, did they have the video and attempt to sell it to TMZ? And TMZ said, "Tyler, who? <laughs> uh, no, or who? Did they have the video and say, nah, this doesn't matter? Nobody knows who Tyler Ulysses is.' But then." Devin Booker signed his extension. The video was released the next day, I believe, or within a few days at the very least. I wonder if the person who had the video said, oh, Devin Booker's making how much money now? This video is probably worth a little more money and then attempted to sell the video to TMZ. I wonder which That's came first. That's kind of interesting, actually. <laughs> I could totally see that being the case. Um, it's a weird thing. It's just the video is pretty old and it just came out recently, so... I find, and it, it came out immediately after that contract. You know, you see $150 million next to a player's name. You probably start seeing uh, a little more money in your pocket as well. Now, I want to talk about Trey Young real quick. Uh, and just, just a quick point I want to make. We have a couple quick hitters, and then we'll let, <laughs> we'll let this episode end here. But Trey Young, there was a quote recently about Trey Young. said he's more Nash than Curry. He said his Steve Nash was his favorite player. He's trying to be more like Nash than Curry. Uh, Trey Young was actually really respectful in this interview. He really said, I hope that someday I can accomplish what Steve Nash accomplished. I hope that uh, I can play like Steve Nash. I've always looked up to him. Very respectful of Steve Nash. What, what I did not like was the response to people say, well, yeah, of course he's more like Nash than Curry. I feel like it's insane for a rookie to say he's like either one of those guys. I don't know why it's somehow more acceptable to say he's like Nash than Curry. Nash is a legend. He did so many things. He's First of all, he's number three all-time in assists. For a rookie to start in the NBA and say, I want to be like that, yes, it's a good goal to aspire to. And yes, he was very respectful. But come on, we got to say, it's just as ridiculous to say that you're going to be like Nash than to say that you're going to be like curry i'm sorry i did not like the fan response to this did you see this interview yeah i've seen the interview um i don't mind though 
I know he's just being nice. I mean, you expect well, he's being nice, but you expect there's this notion in the NBA, right, that we expect players to come in and be confident. We always told Dragon Bender to be confident. I mean, would you have been eating it up if Dragon Bender came into the NBA two years ago and said he he was like, <laughs> this is an absurd notion, but that he was like Dirk Nowitzki? Oh my god. I don't know if I would have been eating that up, to be honest. I just play. Fans like it when players have confidence, and they might use it uh, against yeah. them later. If Trey Young ends up being a bust a few years from now, he's going to hear about it. Remember that time you said you were like Steve Nash? But um, I think for the most part, there is something to this idea that uh, more confidence helps, and, and believing that you really have that killer instinct coming into the league and that. Um, you're a competitive enough person where you really want to kill every other player in your draft class. I think that usually helps you succeed. Not always, but usually. All I want to say is, Suns fans, we need to protect Steve Nash's legacy. Well, yeah, here's the thing I want to say about Steve Nash's legacy. As a bit of an aside, I think Nash, part of the fan response that you were talking about comes from people disrespecting Steve Nash. I already exactly. I already see so many people. How did an MVP win, um, or how how did a player win MVP averaging fifteen and a half points, eleven and a half assists? And you know you can already see it. You can already see it from people who weren't following basketball um, when Nash won his MVPs. But if Steve Nash played in today's NBA, he would be averaging twenty five points per game. Let's let's put it right out there absolutely. on the table. He absolutely would. The game has evolved so much to the point where I I think Steph Curry and James Harden, two players today, I I do think they're better players than Steve Nash ever was. I I, I really do think that. I think they're they're greater products on the court, but they're completely products of their environment. They are the natural evolution of what Nash started bringing to the table in the mid 2000s and then they continued to to spur that evolution today steve nash never took more than five threes per game in a single season in his career today guards like steph curry and james harden are taking 10 11 even 12 threes per game nash would be if he were playing with mike d'antoni today encouraged to be taking that many threes that right there that sheer volume because you already know he's efficient enough to still be shooting above 40 percent from that range he would be averaging at least several more points per game right there, coupled with the fact that the entire NBA is just faster now. When Nash first came back to Phoenix in the mid-2000s, we were still playing tons of teams like the uh, like the Pistons that were a championship contender at that time that were known for routinely holding teams um, into the 70s and 80s, sometimes even the 60s um, in their final game scores because they would just grind the pace to a halt and hold the ball for 20 21 22 seconds out of each shot clock that just doesn't happen anymore and and there's so much more spacing on the floor now the pace is faster um people think about seven seconds or less offense and think about it as this you know insanely fast thing but the truth is if you put them on the floor today there are so many more teams that are doing what they were doing you know because of them it's it's really yeah let's talk about this actually just fast breaks alone just the fast break. So before Steve Nash, a fast break was get to the rim as quickly as possible. After Steve Nash, it's okay to shoot a pull-up three-pointer on a fast break yeah. with two guys running on the wings. Now, people think that's normal now. It's normal when Curry does that. In fact, people kind of think of it as the Steph Curry play. But before Steph Curry, that was the Steve Nash play. Players just did not even do that. It was something that happened because a player like Nash existed. And it's exactly like you said. 
I agree with you. I do think Curry is better, and I do think Harden is better, but I don't think that's a disparaging comment to Nash at all because they would not be even capable of playing the way they did if they didn't see Nash do that first. And Steph Curry has given him the credit, and, and of course, uh, James Harden has talked about it since he's playing with Nash's old coach. The way that he revolutionized the game, his efficiency, uh, and everything that he did to sort of create the environment that we live in, of course, along with Mike D'Antoni, I think that it's just a shame that it's it's sort of okay. Nash and Curry are sort of talked about in the same breath, but Curry is sort of held at this higher pedestal, and it's not that he shouldn't be. It's just that I don't think that Nash is being respected for what he uh, did and I, I think that he should be at a higher pedestal than than people tend to put him on at this point. It's going to continue to happen. That's why it's up to us. It's up to Suns fans. Yeah. We have to remind people that this is we, yes, yes. We are now the old people that are complaining that you don't understand what the game was like before. But it's true. It's just an actual fact. So it's up to us to maintain the legacy of Steve Nash. So Suns fans that are listening to this, I challenge you to remind people the next time you see them disparaging Steve Nash, the same way we do for Devin Booker on Twitter, we need to do that for Steve Nash at this point. Um, Okay, rant over. Thank you. (laughs) DeAndre Ayton is no longer a teenager. A man who looks like uh, everyone's uncle... Just turned Wish twenty. My uncle a massive like that. Are you man. Kidding me? A guy who's seven feet tall. <laughs> it's kind of crazy that this to me, seeing DeAndre Ayton's birthday, the news of his birthday turning twenty, uh, it reminded me how young he really is. It's it's hard it's easy to look at DeAndre Ayton and forget this man is still a child and he's still got room to grow. And of course I'm not trying to lower expectations for next season when I'm talking about this, but I do think it's important to remember he's 20 going into this year. He's 20. He's got room to grow. Big men take a while to develop. It's going to be really fun to see him uh, play next year. Do you have anything to uh, say about Deandre turning 20? <laughs> happy birthday. It was a shock. Happy uh, birthday. That's all I'll say. It's, it's a shock. <laughs> I'm young too. So I'm at that point where I'm realizing that that players are fi- coming into the league are officially younger than me now. That only just recently started happening. Um, and so, uh, yeah, every time I have one of those moments, I have to think about how I've accomplished nothing. Last that's, thing. That's all. <laughs> well, no, you have a podcast now, so I know anyone could have a I podcast. I have a podcast. But you're, you're I, have, I, have the fifth, I have the fifth or sixth most popular Phoenix Suns <laughs> podcast. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> Finally. Help us win the fight, Finally. people. Keep getting our download numbers up. Subscribe, please. Oh, yes. Finally. Last thing. Farewell to the number five pick. Alex Len has agreed to a two-year $8.5 million deal with the tanking Atlanta Hawks. Congratulations to Alex Len. I'm actually glad he's still in the NBA. I think he's a capable backup center. I'm actually kind of surprised that it took this long to get a deal. And, I, and I'm not sure if the entire deal is guaranteed. He's making about what he made, actually a little bit less than what he made in his final season with the Suns. So he's taking a bit of a pay cut to stay in the NBA sad. for the next few years. Yeah, it is pretty sad. sad. Alex um, Lynn should sue Bismack Biombo and Jan Mahinmi for eating up all of team's cap space a couple of years ago. <laughs> those yes, are centers. Exactly. Those centers were making like $16 million. Timofey Mozgov too. Give back your money. Return it to the masses for the good for the good of balance and order. Uh, of course, I'm kidding. They got theirs, and and that's all well and good. But if I were Alex Len, if I were all of these decent players who still 
are free agents to this point or any of the players who signed contracts this year where we were like, wow, that guy was really underpaid. Um, Julius Randle is one that comes to mind for me personally. Yeah. It's like you should be mad. You should be mad at Michelle Roberts of the NBA Players Association, um, the head. You should be mad at the players who run that organization like Chris Paul and CJ McCollum and and LeBron James and some of the, the presidents and vice presidents of that organization who said no a couple of off seasons ago to this idea of um, sort of gradually raising the cap rather than dumping it all in one offseason because we're seeing the consequences of that come down now. There are all these players. Alex Len, if he had just been a little luckier and hit free agency two summers ago, would have been making $15 million a year. Instead, he has to fight basically just to stay in the NBA. We didn't even see any rumors about him. He just he signed about 20 days into free agency for a smaller contract than the qualifying offer um, that he got the season before. And that's coming off a career best year where even if you know Alex Len is a flawed player, we know that he did pretty good in the backup role for the Suns. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, there's no reason to cry about a grown man playing a game making over $4 million a year. But if I were Alex Len, I'd be mad. That's all I got to say about that. Are you ready to see Alex Len post a 25.18 rebound game against the Suns this year? I'll be, I'll be happy for him, honestly. I mean, I think Alex has always been a little disrespected by the Suns fan base. I, I, I don't want to see him turn into a star. The East is a joke. He could be an all-star if he averages like 13 <laughs> and 11. I'm serious. Alex Len averages, all right, maybe not 13 and 11. He, he ups his game one season to 15 and 10 and two blocks a game. All-star caliber in the Eastern Conference. Yeah, now I don't know about that, but I will say he has to go against the legend of Dwight Howard. <laughs> yeah, Dwight Howard. Uh, you know what? <laughs> That's all we got for today. Thank you for listening. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. Don't forget to check out our Reddit posts. We have a lot of interesting things going on on our Twitter account. Please check us out there. And uh, thank you for listening. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Rootmetrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance.
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.